0: Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe
1: McCormick. And today's film for Weird House Cinema is the 1987 Taiwanese action fantasy film, Child of Peach. A truly special work of art, without a doubt, I will say one of the most frenzied and feral movies we have ever watched on this show. This movie is so bizarre, so much, and so fast. And uh, it certainly has a reputation online uh, for being just a a tornado of weirdness that I'm genuinely shocked I had never heard of this movie uh, before
0: you selected it for today's episode, Rob. So how did you find Child of Peach? Well, I think my earliest exposure to it was an everything is terrible two minute uh, clip mashup of of scenes from the movie. And I, I watched this at some point and was just blown away by the weirdness. Uh, and, but also just assume, well, these are just the highlights. They took the, you know, you get a, a weird movie. If you get all the weirdest moments, you probably got about two minutes worth. And so I laughed, but then I kind of moved on. But then when we were talking about thrilling bloody sword, another Taiwanese fantasy film, um, in the last year or so on uh, weird house cinema, I ran across it again when I was looking into Taiwanese cinema in general. And, uh, mm-hmm. some of the extras on that disc from, uh, I believe Justin DeClue of the, um, uh, the gold ninja video oh, okay. and that put it back on my radar and I was like, oh, well, uh, if we've enjoyed thrilling bloody sword this much, then I guess we've got to come back around to child of peach.
1: There are certainly some uh, aesthetic ways in which this movie did remind me of thrilling bloody sword, but I'm going to make a very strange comparison. I kept thinking it, it had another kind of uh, bizarre, but familiar in- energy and I finally realized what it was. And it's that this movie kind of reminds me of Morozko, a.k.a. Jack Frost, the 1964 Soviet fantasy film that we covered uh, a couple of years back around Christmas. And uh, we can get into more of the, the similarities and differences in a bit. But uh, I was trying to think why that is. And I think one reason would be, despite the fact that you could argue these are both... Uh, kind of whether intentionally or not, a kind of psychotronic cinema. They're both actually based on folktales, so they have a
0: kind of old soul to them despite how weird they are. Absolutely, yeah. And and there's that's something we always have to take into into mind when we're looking at a at a "Quote unquote weird film from another uh, from from another country's film tradition," you know, like how much of it is genuine weirdness? And I think there's a lot of genuine weirdness in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but then there is, you know, there's certain aspects of it that are entrenched within a, a different um, film culture than one might be used to. And then there is this aspect of it that comes from folklore, and of course folklore is, is also is it, it's a it's a rich of wonder, but also weirdness.
1: Well, yeah, uh, fairy tales are like all fairy tales are kind of weird. If you're unfamiliar with them, there's just like the set you grew up with. So they don't feel weird anymore, but you, you experience the fairy tales of an unfamiliar culture and you're like, Whoa, that is odd.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the the ones in your own culture are weird too. You just don't necessarily have the distance to realize that. Oh yeah. The idea of Paul Bunyan and a giant blue ox. That's strange. (laughs) That's strange stuff. Yeah. Um, But uh, anyway, the particular folktale here, the the heart of this is a Japanese folktale, the folktale of Momotaro. This is about a hero child born from a giant peach, and it's actually quite famous. It was—I uh, was reading that it, it was utilized in um, World War II war propaganda animation in mm. Japan. Uh, it's been—it's been echoed in various video game adaptations. In fact, uh, I was astounded by this. Uh, my son's super into Pokemon. He's super into this Pokemon Scarlet and Violet um, game. It's the, the latest Switch game for Pokemon, mm. and. um there's DLC coming out that is going to have three characters in it that are based on three magical animals in this story that are also <laughs> in this movie. So it's like, it's, it's actually a, a, a the Momotaro folktale casts a long shadow. It's just one that not everyone is exposed to or doesn't realize they're looking at it. Wait, Rob, are you
1: telling me that the three guardians of the garden in this film are now
0: Pokemon Yes, I'm that, you, I've seen oh, the photographs. My God. Or they're not photographs. They're still, they're not actual like wildlife photographs, but yes, they're on the way. This will become
1: more hilarious as we proceed to explain the plot.
0: I also thought it was interesting because, okay, in this basic idea, child, a baby emerges from a giant peach and then is raised by old people. This story is also reminiscent of the tale of the bamboo cutter, uh, another Japanese tale. This one's about a baby found inside a stalk of glowing bamboo, which has also been a, been uh, adapted many times including in the 2013 Studio Ghibli film The Tale of Princess Kaguya from 2013 which uh, I watched not too long ago and it was it's quite good beautifully animated
1: well that's another thing that makes Child of Peach unique it is mostly this uh this Uh, Yeah. a Wild madcap dance of monsters and and giant peaches peeing on people and stuff. (laughs) But it also there are moments where it really has kind of a a sweet core to it, Uh, especially with the the story of the old couple who lives in the bamboo forest who uh, end up adopting the peach kid as their son. There were moments there where we were genuinely like, this is so sweet.
0: Yeah, it's a movie that packs a lot in. I mean, it's just bulging at the at the stitches. Yeah. There's so much packed in here. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it feels like a very full meal, but a uh, very satisfying one. Okay, maybe we should do the elevator pitch, uh, the, though this is one of those
1: movies where you, you have to see it to understand it. Just like explaining what happens and it doesn't really communicate the vibe. Mm-hmm. But the pitch goes like this: When the King Devil steals the Sword of Sun from the Peach Garden, it's up to a baby hatched from a giant obnoxious peach to kill the devil and recover the sacred macguffin. That's it. That's the quest. And now, uh, there's also some uh, rescuing of a princess somewhere in there. There's uh, there, there's a big old rotund knight named Knight Melon. You'll hear a lot more about him. There are guardians that turn into animals. Uh, So, so there's a lot going on. And this is another thing that kind of reminds me of the, the, uh, the, the Soviet uh, fantasy film Morozko. because whereas in that movie, you get the feeling that they're just combining so many different kind of fairy tale elements together into a single narrative. This movie, I don't know if they actually come from fairy tales in every case, but this does have that very, like lots of different stuff thrown together into a blender feeling.
0: Yeah. Almost kind of a circus feel like, well, you got to have this act. You got to have your clowns. You got to have you got to have your lion tamers. You got to have this. And so it's all there. Three rings all at once. Look wherever your eyes take you.
1: Their similarity, I think, has to do in part with the the gorgeously weird sets and costumes and the onslaught of uh, peculiar supernatural images and themes, uh, which, again, I, I think these are partly unfamiliar to us because they are based in the fairy tales of a culture that we're less familiar with in childhood, but also they just contain a lot of uh, strange original elements that I suspect would be weird to anybody watching. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's that in common, but then I I think there's another similarity, one that's kind of hard to explain, but really does color our experience of a film. And that is about the pacing of the introduction of unusual imagery and
0: ideas. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about here, Rob? Uh, yeah, there's kind of a, a feeling like you're you're hit with one supernatural element, one speculative element, and then wham! Here comes a fairy in to to narrate things from the other direction, and yes. you, can, you can feel a little uh, struck by it.
1: Exactly. Both of these movies have this habit of kind of throwing a strange new character or image or statement or behavior at you. And it usually does not give you time to, to be like, wait, what? what is this? You don't have that sinking in time. It's still just ripping ahead at full speed to the next thing. Right, right. Another thing about this movie, and this is uh, partially a warning, love this movie, but it does have these major uh, who is this for issues. So you look mm-hmm. at this, you'd be like, oh, this would be good to show my kids. I would not recommend that. <laughs> uh, it's it, So it has a very silly, zany tone and subject matter that would seem to indicate that this is a movie for kids, but I think it is not at all. It is full of inappropriate content there is uh, almost constant swearing in the hard-baked subtitles uh so it has these uh, subtitles much like thrilling bloody sword at least in the version we watched they seemed like they like burned into the
0: film itself
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i and just to, to skip ahead just a little bit on quality like this is there aren't really official there's no official release of this film Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Outside of Taiwan is my understanding. So any copy you find of it seems to be like the same sort of slightly degraded. It's very watchable content. uh, But yeah, it's uh, it's it's not restored. It's not pristine by any stretch. And it has the subtitles in, I believe, Mandarin and English just hard baked in there. And sometimes you can't read them because those are white subtitles uh, against white backgrounds.
1: Yes, yes. So uh, there were parts where I really don't know what was happening in the plot because it's being explained. There's like exposition dialogue, and it's just white text on a white background. So I don't know. But okay, so there's a lot of swearing in the subtitles. Uh, I don't know if that means there is swearing in the original dialogue or if this is a translation issue. Obviously, the... Uh, as we will note in several ways, the the hard coded subtitles we saw had uh, a lot of uh, uh, I don't know what felt like very approximate translations.
0: Yeah, the, the subtitles are very rough around their, the edges anyway, and then they hit way too hard, <laughs> especially with the swearing at times. And I'm I'm I guess I'm willing to to attribute this possibly to to just you know the the, the crude nature of the subtitles. It's kind of like what if. What if any of us were given the task of translating Bart Simpson's insults into mm. a foreign tongue that we are not uh, a master of? You mm. know, there's a certain nuance that has to be in place where, you know, Bart is saying crude things, but they're not too crude. Or you want to imply this thing, but not stated outright in clinical terms. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, I kind of I would tend to, to, to give him a break on that and chalk it up to uh, to, to uh, less than perfect subtitles in translation. Okay.
1: Uh, So you got the swearing. There's also some some kind of jarring nudity, not of a sexual nature, but just like peach kid running around naked a lot. And then I think there's a scene where your night melon character gets pranked by just getting his pants pulled down and stuff. Uh, There is occasionally really gory violence, but mostly not like it. It's just these suddenly surprisingly gory moments interspersed with mostly more cartoony martial arts action.
0: Yeah, and generally the violence is directed at some sort of a demon underling. Yeah. Um, but but still, you know, heads will pop, <laughs> brains will bleed, that sort of thing. Also, I don't know whether
1: this one goes in the, the kids movie column or the anti-kids movie column, but the movie is obsessed with urine. There is so much <laughs> pee on everything. I, I How many pee-pee scenes were there? There's like peach the giant magic peach peeing on people there's uh the dog like animal creatures peeing in people's food there's uh other monster there's a lot of monster pee uh
0: i i think there are at least four or five uh, pee scenes oh really i, I counted three but okay. i might have missed one in there um This is ironic, though, because, okay, the the day of of publication, this happens to be St. Patrick's Day. And originally we were thinking, well, we should do an Irish movie. And that ended up being a whole slog trying to figure out what Irish movie would be appropriate and would be fun. And for a little bit, we were looking at 1986's Rawhead Rex, uh, which features famously features a urine scene. And we were like, I don't know, really, I want to talk about that urine scene. So we, we pivoted to Child of Peach, which has at least three urine gags. But like we were talking about before we came in here, I would say Rawhead Rex is a urine movie and uh, Child of Peach is a pee pee movie. And there's a there's a big difference between the two.
1: And often what is pee? In fact, in almost every case, the thing that's peeing in Child of Peach is not a human. It's big into animals peeing and peaches peeing and peach based uh, uh, mechs peeing. Yes. (laughs) And very
0: much played for comedy.
1: Earlier, I did describe the weirdness of this movie as an onslaught, and I think that really is the right term for it. When when we were watching it, we had to rewind many times because there'd just be something that was like, what? And then it was so bizarre, but then it was over too fast and we had to take it back and be like, what just happened?
0: Yeah, it's, this is actually a good movie to watch in like a YouTube-type format because you, you, you need to be able to go back and, and re-examine things you think you saw and think you might halfway understand. Yeah. Um, it is indeed just a nonstop sort of picture. Uh, I mentioned that everything is terrible, two-minute cut of Child of Peach, and, and I'll uh, I'll embed that in the blog post for this episode at com in case anyone wants, to, anyone wants to check it out. Like I say, with any other film, I would think, well, you— You got the weirdest moments, and that's two minutes worth of footage. Fair enough. Pretty fun. But no, uh, there's so much more weirdness in the film. Like, if you just watch those two minutes with Everything is Terrible, and you think you've seen it all, you haven't. You can then go and watch the full film, and it's still got so many things to uh, exclaim about. Yes, the, the treats just abound. Now, as we discussed in our episode on Thrilling Bloody Sword, uh, it's our understanding that Taiwanese cinema at the time was kind of the underdog versus Hong Kong cinema. And so there's this feeling in Taiwanese movies of this period, particularly fantasy action films like this, the filmmakers really felt they had to go big. They had to be weirder than Hong Kong. They had to be riskier. And the stunts had to maybe be a bit more dangerous. And I think you can totally see all of this in Child of Peach, a film that you can well imagine critics of the time and of the intended region thinking it might even be trying too hard you know what i'm saying like 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 oh they just they just really are trying too hard in this film i don't think that's what most contemporary viewers make of the film though it has certainly become a, a cult classic i don't know what that means trying too hard like think of some outrageous comedy that not only has to have just a gag a minute, but also really wants you to make sure you got that gag. Hey, did you get that gag we just did? Mm-hmm. Let me remind you of, you know, it's like that energy of just like, I'm going to uh, assault your senses. And uh, I I just really want you to like me kind of, of energy, <laughs> which can be very obnoxious if you're encountering a film in its time, it hasn't had time to sort of, um, you know, cure in the cellar or anything, mm-hmm. uh, as this film has. Like, maybe maybe I'm thinking of something like an Ace Ventura, you know? And Ooh. I don't know to what extent Ace Ventura has uh, matured in the cellar either. The mask. dusk. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause it's> a, <laughs> 90s mask. Jim Carrey movies. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly the same energy, but, you know, I, mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of movies that are a lot and maybe that changes over time and with different audiences. Okay, I get you now. But at any rate, this film, like we say, it seems to have been a hit because it spawned at least one sequel, Magic of Spell from 88 and perhaps Magic Warriors from 89, uh, both starring the same actor and both from one of the same directors. Now, there's no actual trailer that I could find for this film. So we're just going to listen to just a little bit of the audio from the film, just give you a little little taste. So this isn't going to be our normal uh, trailer audio treatment, but let's have a listen. hopefully what you got from that is is fun. Now, if you want to watch the film before continuing on with the episode, just have to to remind you that this this one's hard to come by if you're looking for anything like an official release. I think you're generally going to be looking at imported DVDs or burnt discs. I know Videodrome in Atlanta, they, they say they have an acceptable copy of it, uh, and you can find it streaming in various formats online. It's exactly the sort of film that I keep expecting Golden Ninja Video to put out at some point, but um, uh, it hasn't come to fruition. Uh, so look around, there's some, there's some good places to find it, and also there's that Everything is Terrible two-minute cut if you just want a sample platter of what the full film would consist of.
1: All right. You want to talk about some of the people involved?
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to go as in-depth on the cast, but there are some interesting folks to discuss. Now, just a note before I go, too, I had to use multiple uh, databases to to get some of this info. So IMDb, TMDb, and also the Hong Kong movie database. Mm. Um, So some things, especially with a movie like this, some things are listed on one database and uh, they're not on another or names can be slightly different. Uh, So uh, just keep that in mind as we proceed. All right. Uh, starting at the top here, one of the two directors and also one of the stunt coordinators is Chung Sing Chow. Dates unavailable on this particular director. Taiwanese director, and his stunt coordinating and directing credits include both Peach Films, uh, so you know this one, and then the the definite sequel, as well as 1991's Twelve Animals, which I've heard good things about, 1985's Drunken Dragon, and 1985's Hello Dracula which is a hopping vampire film and film franchise that is going we're going to mention it multiple times in the the this our discussion of the people in this movie.
1: I was looking this up. I think there is also a, a Korean TV series of the same name that uh is as far as I can tell unrelated.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I have a lot of questions about Hello Dracula. Like, is it a definite franchise, or is this like the the Italian zombie franchise, where it's all about how these movies have been released outside of the original market?
1: Well, I was looking for a stream of Hello Dracula to try to see if I could. uh, uh, I don't know, just get a little flavor of it because I loved the name when you told me this. I first heard it in the Big Bopper voice, you know. (laughs) um, but, uh, but yeah, the, this looks like a, a franchise I would love to check out if I can actually get a copy of this movie.
0: The other director is Chun-Ling Chin, who lived 1942 through 2016. Additional planning and directing credits include Dragon Ball The Magic Begins from 1991. And, yes, this is connected to Dragon Ball Z. Can so— As
1: somebody who was never a Dragon Ball Z fan, I've only seen little bits of it and heard other people talk about it. I did have friends who were into Dragon Ball Z. It seemed like a show that was very oriented around the concept of powering up. Is that accurate?
0: Yes, I think. I, I, and I think it has almost as large, if not as large, a footprint uh, in many people's sort of pop culture upbringing as Pokemon. Mm. But I, I personally don't know a lot about it. My son has not gotten into Dragon Ball Z. But I know this is the kind of thing, like, if you have Dragon Ball Z in your childhood, then it is, it is a part of who you are <laughs> for the rest of your life. It seems like it provides a useful set of metaphors
1: uh, for whenever you're getting ready to do something uh, important. You know, like you're going into Dragon Ball mode. Maybe you're powering up for this test at school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this is a live action 1991 adaptation of the Dragon Ball manga and TV series that led to Dragon Ball Z. So, for instance, this movie from 91 has Goku in it, if that means anything to you out there. Uh, But anyway, uh, Chen also worked on Hello, Dracula. All right, and then the writer for this film is Ching Kang Yao, born 1946, extensive screenplay credits between 49 and 53 films, depending on the database you're looking at. His earliest uh, credit is the Bruce, I uh, know uh, it's Bruce Lee, L I. I've also seen this pronounced Bruce Lai, mm. uh, which is kind of fun because it's not really Bruce Lee, it's just a guy who looks. Almost exactly like him, I guess, or close enough to market him as such. Um, but anyway, he is the 1975 film Super Dragon versus Superman. That's but a good also, title. Yeah, yeah. A good title. And, you know, implies some certain things that I, I'm not sure the movie's going to deliver on. Uh, <laughs> he also wrote Hello, Dracula, Dragon Ball The Magic Begins, One Armed Swordsman versus Nine Killers from 76, The Seven Commandments of Kung Fu from 79, and 1981's Chivalry Deadly Feud. Okay, a few good-sounding titles in there. All right. Our star, though, is uh, is is wrapped up in this character of the peach kid, peach boy, whatever you want to call him. Basically, like we said in the movie, a male baby is born from a peach and is rapidly grown up into a youth. That youth is played by uh, the female actor, uh, Sao Lao Lin, or... Uh, Lam Su Lau or also Sharon Foster so uh the the name is ri- listed different ways. I think these are maybe different aliases. Certainly Sharon Foster is uh, an, an an Americanized um, alias that was probably you know used um, as the, as some of these movies were marketed in um, in other parts of the world. But this movie was apparently big enough a deal for her that it kind of earned her the nickname Peach Baby. So I think we can we can call her Peach Baby if we want, or we can just call her the kid, uh, however you want to cut it. But she doesn't play the baby. She plays like the grown-up
1: Peach Boy who is ready to fight evil.
0: Yes. Uh, playing a male character, but definitely has this kind of punky Brewster uh, kung fu spirit to her. Uh, very, very peppy. Um, I've seen her described as a kung fu wonderkind of her time. Uh, She apparently attended a Peking opera school in Taiwan, but quickly made a name for herself as an adorable fantasy action movie performer. Uh, On various databases, her acting credits go back to 1980, but her career seems to really take off with 1986's Kung Fu Wonderchild, a wuxia film in which our youthful hero battles evil forces.
1: Okay, could also describe the movie we're talking about today, or probably many others.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, and then comes Child of Peach in 87, which apparently yeah, earned her the nickname Peach Baby. The Peach sequel follows, as do some other general youth versus demon films, including 12 Animals, sometimes with the actor playing a female youth, other times a male youth. And she seems to cross over into Hong Kong productions for a while as well, which, which isn't surprising given the apparent exchange that went on between the Hong Kong and Taiwanese film scene during this time, uh, as Justin DeClue discusses and some of the extras on Thrilling Bloody Sword. But uh, I think I've even seen one of the Hong Kong films she's in. Uh, I don't think it's a very big role at all, but 1989's The Iceman Cometh, a movie about frozen then thawed swordsmen from the Ming Dynasty who then have to battle it out in modern-day Hong Kong. Whoa, that's a good premise. Yeah, I, I don't remember much about it, but I remember I ended up watching it because it, be- it came highly recommended from some particular like Hong Kong film enthusiasts who were like, if you want to see a sword fight, uh, watch this movie. So get, get, set your Highlander aside because the <laughs> Iceman cometh. Anyway, Peach Baby's tremendous. So much energy. Oh, yeah. Um, just w- wonderful charisma. Uh, she's wonderful. Totally agree. Peach Kid rules. All right. Now, we have uh, an old man and an old woman who are going to be important to the plot. Uh, they end up raising Peach Baby. And the old man is played by Tu Chen, who lived 1932 through 2001, Beijing-born actor known for such films as Dragon Ball, The Magic Begins. He plays Gohan, if that means anything to you Dragon Ball fans. He was also in Hello, Dracula, 1, 2, 3, and 5. Note, they seem to go up to 6. Uh, so he's a, a very fun actor in this. He has a lot of, you know, so, you know, old man act, kung fu comedy. Uh, he has a 170 acting credits on the Hong Kong movie database. He's also in Magic of Spells. This is one half of our bamboo forest
1: power couple who uh, who end up adopting Peach Kid from the Peach.
0: Oh yeah, they're 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 a lot of fun. There there are a lot of nuances to to them in their relationship. Yes. Uh, Old woman. And again, I think these are their names, at least in the subtitles, because they refer to each other as such. They're like, oh, man, do this. And then he's like, old woman, do this. and. And so forth. But uh, anyway, the old woman is played by Yao Mei Fong, born 1958. Uh, She's apparently only in eight films, including Magic of Spell and Hello, Dracula 3. But I thought she was delightful in this. Very funny. Obviously, a much younger actor playing an older woman. Mm -hmm. uh, But it was it's a very spirited performance.
1: Uh, She she does great. Uh, There is a whole like chase scene between her and the peach where Mm -hmm. it involves the peach peeing on her. It involves her butt catching on fire because she's going too fast at one point.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, But it's great. And uh, she she and the old man have some really great exchanges that I I don't know exactly what is getting lost in the translation. But like the. the the moments where she says, like, I could born a melon and the old man says, You can't even born a potato. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. They're one of the, the main themes with her character is that yeah, she desperately wants to raise a child and at, at one point and of course they're they're they they're aged as they, they remind each other. Uh, but they're like, should we just raise Melanite? Knight? What if we raise Melanite? Knight? What if Melanite Knight was our son sent from the Buddha? And uh, they seem to entertain this idea uh, until something better comes along.
1: Melanite, Knight, who is a very large, full-grown man.
0: Yes, yes. But they do note that he looks cute like a baby. Yes, yes. He does have those big cheeks. All right. One of the villains we encounter in this is... Um, I've seen her credited as zombie mother, but I think we can think of her as the witch. She's very much a witch character. There's some big Baba Yaga energy to this role. Um, and I didn't realize it was a drag performance for the entire my entire viewing of the film. It wasn't until I started looking through the credits that I realized this was the case. Played by actor Lin Young. Uh dates uh, unknown to me but a stunt performer and actor who yeah is a lot of fun as our over the top hell escapy matriarch of evil.
1: Yeah, I, there are multiple really good cross gender performances in this and uh, yeah, the the witch is fantastic. Uh, she wears a, a
0: Ziggy stardust wig basically. <laughs> am I am I right about that? I believe so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she has a lot of a lot of pizzazz. She's a, a, a fun witch. And basically, she just wants to find a good match for her, her two sons, a nice princess for one of them, or both of them to marry. That's right.
1: She kidnaps a princess from a castle and, like, brings the princess back to hell. And she's like, well, you will marry my two sons now. And uh, she, the princess is not interested. And then she yells at the princess. She calls the princess some cuss words. But she also says, you're engaging in fault finding with my sons. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, fun performance. Uh, This particular actor, I think it looks like maybe did a lot of like smaller roles, uh, but maybe some bigger ones as well. So a lot of like swordsmen, a lot of thug credits. So, Uh uh, you know, in action films, one of the underlings who gets into fights with the hero, that sort of thing. Oh, but then let's talk about Nightmelon, also sometimes credited as Watermelon Boy. This is played by the actor San Ping.
1: You know, sometimes a movie like this will just cast a big guy because they like he looks funny in the scenes, or so they think. But it's it's not actually as funny as they think it is. In this case, it is. Like this guy mm-hmm. has a lot of. Mo- I mean, like, his character is written in a hilarious way, but also he has a lot of just kind of look into the camera moments where yeah. I don't know it works. He just looks funny.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they also he has kind of a ridiculous haircut. Yeah, uh, he's constantly in kind of silly-looking clothes, so yeah, it's it's really played up. But uh, yeah, so this is, we're talking about a guy who's a, you know obviously a heavy-set comedic Taiwanese actor, and you look at the various roles he's played, and you see like for instance in Hello Dracula, he just plays fat cop, uh, <laughs> which there's no way that that's not just a comedic bit part. You know, I'm imagining just a cop that is frightened by a vampire and runs away. Uh-huh. I would bet money on that being the case.
1: But in this movie, while he is certainly the the butt of jokes and pranks by by the demons and so forth, he's also uh, a genuine hero. So he's like he is in this film both a uh, a figure of fun and a figure of strength and courage.
0: Yeah. And I you know, I think something that really is telling about this is that this actor also played the character Pigsy. From Journey into the West, in at least three films, hmm. uh, Pigsy. For anyone who's not aware, this is one of the major characters in Journey into the West, uh, alongside the Monkey King, uh, and I, you know, I think this is that's kind of the energy of that character. A character, it's like a rotund, uh, porcine uh, f- character. Who is is humorous, but also is a hero. Is also you know very much fighting on the side of good. Uh, hmm. So that that might be part of it. And we've maybe seeing some pigsy energy in this role because yeah, he certainly gets to act cowardly at times. He there's you know, some pratfalls and lots of humor, but he also gets to just really kick butt too. He busts out a suplex at one point. There's a part where he does like a really killer centon drop. This is where like there's a demon on the ground and he jumps. And brings all his weight down on the demon like back first onto him Uh, so yeah he he, he gets to whoop uh, some butt as well
1: he also gets powered up for extra heroics at the end of this movie and I thought the mechanism they chose here was interesting the way they power him up is they have the little fairy uh, like do a cupid's arrow into him and the princess so they uh, against all odds fall in love with each other and this brings him extra strength to fight the devils to rescue her
0: Yes, yes. Love is his energy source.
1: And then once she's out of her jail cell, they're just like kissing through the entire final battle.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh so lots lots of fun with that character. I ended up it, it grew on me. Like at first I thought it's like this is just gonna be a one note, one dimensional comedic character, but there are at least two dimensions in play here. Oh totally. I, I love Nightmellon. I I think he's great. Okay, now this is a much smaller character, but at one point one of the demon underlings that they battle is referred to at least in the subtitles as Hercules. He's very much this hmm. kind of muscly ogre character played by Huang jin Wei, And if you're wondering, hey, is this the same big muscled ogre dude uh, that was in Thrilling Bloody Sword that, um, that got stabbed up the butt with the Thrilling Bloody Sword? Well, <laughs> let me assure you that it absolutely is. No way. Yep, it's him. He has a... <laughs> 16 bulging acting credits on the Hong Kong movie database, playing mostly like giants, muscle men, and bodyguards you know, the type. Mm-hmm. Um, his earliest credit is 1973's Kung Fu Inferno, and this is actually his penultimate role before 1989's King of the Children, aka Hello Dracula 4. <laughs> what does he play a vampire? Uh, I'm assuming he plays a muscle dude. I don't know uh, what kind muscle? of muscle dude, maybe
1: yeah. a muscle vampire. Uh, in this, I so he's know. a muscle demon here, but in Thrilling Bloody Sword, he was a statue that came to life. It was in that scene where, like, each statue had only a specific place on their body where they could be wounded, uh, and then with the he, I think he was the last one left, and it's like, oh wow, we cannot find his weakness until finally the this uh, in Thrilling Bloody Sword also had a little fairy character. The, yes, the strange thing in common, but the little the little fairy uh, in that movie like used her x-ray vision on him to determine that he had to be stabbed in, I, they, I think euphemistically called it, the thigh. and yeah. then, But when they show it, he stabs him in the butt.
0: So Yeah, they had a different person on um, subtitle translation duties for that film. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the, the subtitles for uh, Child of Peach would have been a little cruder. Uh, but speaking of that fairy, uh, it, not the same actor playing the fairy. Uh, in this film, Shadow Lu, plays the fairy, born nineteen seventy eight, a child actor who is in, I think, mostly Hello Dracula movies. She played Ten Ten in Hello Dracula's One, Two, Three, and Five. <laughs> and I think she is actually uh, a Dracula, a vampire, a hopping vampire, or oh Changshi in, in that movie.
1: You mean the actresses in real life?
0: Maybe, maybe. Uh, And then finally, uh, there are other wonderful cast members in this, but uh, the last one I'm going to mention is Huang Chongyu playing the Demon King or the Spirit King. There are various ways he is described. The main villain, born 1961, Taiwanese actor who seems to have played a fair number of wise masters, vampires, and so forth. Uh, He was also a martial arts choreographer and director.
1: King Devil also rules. The villains in this just across the board have... uh awesome uh, hellish charisma uh, King Devil is great The Witch is great, all the all the little demon fighters, we should get into more about the individual demon fighters as we talk about the plot, but uh, it, yeah, everything from hell is good in here
2: <laughs> Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all new Top Thrill 2 Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: All right, well let's let's break down the plot here.
1: All right, well it gets right into it. We just start somewhere in the mountains and it is clear it's it's an indoor set meant to represent the mountains. Uh it's kinda like, you know, looks like the guts aggro crag, but with Uh, With with like trees and and happy vegetation everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're told this is somewhere in the Himalayan mountains. It's uh, the peach garden. It's lush and warm due to the power of the sword of the sun, which is embedded in the hilltop Excalibur style.
1: Now, pretty much right off the bat, you start figuring out that you're not going to be able to read some of the hard burned subtitles because it mm-hmm. tells you, you know, we're here in the peach garden. And then you see, but right there in the peak, there is a different world. The peach garden as the natural power absorbed by the sword of sun, it and then it's just a white text on white background. So something about the garden, I'm not sure. Uh, but then a song kicks off and I rewound and listened to the opening song probably 14 times. It's, just, it's, a, <laughs> it's a great uh, tune, really puts you in the mood for uh, for happy, happy fighting. And uh, we get to see all of the guardians of the Peach Garden going about their business and doing transformations. So who are the guardians here?
0: Well, the subtitles tell us that they are well the, the, songs, the songs that the song that tells us they are the naughty angels right they're the the guardians of the yes. of the peach garden it says uh, uh
1: it says uh turning into rainbows something uh can't read that uh dad and mom start playing magic, naughty angels dance on the roof
0: yeah that's that seems accurate uh so yeah, these three elfish guardians. Uh, the subtitles tell us that they are tiny cock, tiny dog, and tiny monkey. Um, I believe in general, these characters are associated with the pheasant, uh, with a domestic dog and with a monkey of some sort. And we we encounter them in their animal forms, and then we see them in this scene transform into their human forms. And don't worry, they have a third form that we won't find out about until the, the final battle. But they are the guardian angels of of the garden. Uh, and the garden is ruled over by what is described as an intimate couple. I, I take that to mean <laughs> a cult power couple who are oh. raising a plump, cute baby boy on the magic nectar of a giant peach aka the holy peach so mother peach tends to the baby while father uh, peach makes swords fly around their cavern home
1: yeah he does sword telekinesis in the cave while the mother like harvests the nectar that drips off of um i don't know if there's a word for this what is the little nub on the bottom of a peach
0: called Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. But it's prominently featured in many of the peach designs we see in this film.
1: Yeah. Okay. so the little peach nub drips nectar into a big glass punch bowl. It's a punch bowl. Mm -hmm. And then I guess she gets it from the punch bowl and then does she feed it to their baby?
0: I believe so. This is like the the sacred elixir that is making Peach Baby strong
1: but these two are the masters of the garden uh and then so they're living in peace and harmony it seems like a almost kind of a, like a perfect existence it's implied to be but then uh-oh they they one day something something feels amiss and they say a stranger is coming what is this and then like four big balls just roll into the garden
0: yep and they explode and out of them come devils we're to- this is the devil king or king devil and his cronies, they have come to claim the magic sword, better protect the baby. And uh, just another myth note or folklore note here, I think this character is generally uh, referred to as an oni in the Japanese tradition and, and certainly has, has oni notes in the, the character design here.
1: So how to describe the king devil? He's wearing armor. Is this kind of a samurai armor?
0: Yeah, it looks very, very Japanese in its uh, inspiration, which makes sense given the origin of the of the folk tale. And yeah. it has big oni teeth,
1: huge fangs uh, that it almost like fangs that look funny to try to fit inside his mouth.
0: Yep, yep, like it's a mouthful. Like, luckily, this guy's not actually having to do much uh, live vocal acting. I think He just kind of goes rawr, rawr, and somebody dubs over it.
1: But he's got a huge red wigs, a red hair, gigantic bushy red eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got uh, pale makeup on his face, the, the sort of samuraiish armor. His helmet has a big, uh, oh, what do you call that? Kind of the uh, upward facing crescent moon shape on it, mm-hmm. like horns. Yeah, he cuts a great profile. Oh, yeah. King devil is so stylish. And so he gets there and he says, I want the sword. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) of course, you know, the master is the gardener, not just going to give him the sword. So he manifests. He he has his uh, balls explode and they transform into these devils with green hair and horns who are wielding these long like pole arm weapons. And then uh, there's a big battle that breaks out. And the battle is amazing. I watched the first 10 minutes of this film multiple times.
0: Yeah, this is a film where I, I think a lot of people you might not expect the the martial arts action to be this good, but the martial arts action is, and this is great. I think maybe yeah. the martial arts is stronger in this film than Thrilling Bloody Sword, though it was still really impressive in Thrilling Bloody Sword. Like no, no matter what your issues are with like not being you know able to understand all the subtitles or know what's going on plot wise, or well, at any given point. The the action sequences absolutely make sense. Like they have they have build to them. They have callbacks. They tell a story with the action. Uh, and and I think it, it's kind of a testament to just the, uh, the tradition of uh, Taiwanese and Hong Kong cinema at the time that this was just sort of this was so important to making a film. Mm-hmm. So it's great. Highly recommend the action. We'll keep talking about it.
1: But while the battle is going on, uh, with so you get the the master, uh, the, the the man from the cave, and the three guardians uh, fighting off the devils. The king devil goes up to the sword of sun and pulls it out of the stone, I guess. And then it's like shooting this green electricity all over the place. Mm-hmm. So as soon as he takes it, the garden turns dark and snow starts falling. So again, I think it was established earlier that the sword is what makes the top of the mountain habitable and, and a lush garden instead of just a, you know, snow capped
0: rock. Yeah. And then things go downhill from there. Yeah. So the King devil,
1: unfortunately he kills the man and the woman murders them and casts the guardians off of the mountaintop
0: but not before mom makes a plan for peach baby she picks peach baby puts him inside puts the baby inside of the holy peach and the holy peach flies off
1: that's right so it is uh you know it's it's moses in the basket except it's a baby in a peach
0: yeah and you know since the peach is alive and has personality it's not just like random like where will this baby wash up um it's like, no, the peach must find a suitable parents for the baby.
1: That's right. It's a, it is a sentient peach. Also, mm-hmm. while the peach is flying away, this is where we first meet the fairy, I think. A fairy just randomly shows up yeah. and just says, it's strange. The peach
0: garden is gone. <laughs> she's she's mostly here, I think, to move the plot along yeah, in multiple ways.
1: Oh, and also as the peach is leaving, she goes and talks to the dying woman in the cave who she calls the woman Landlord. Hmm. Which I thought was interesting. It was like, is the is the fairy paying rent?
2: <laughs>
1: but okay, we cut from here to meet the old man and the old woman. Uh, they are living together in the bamboo forest, and uh, they are going to a shrine of the Buddha to uh, to pay homage. We see that they are a a, a you know they they kind of uh, crack wise, but they are also in many ways a pious and kind hearted couple. And they uh, they go to the shrine of the Buddha and have a conversation about how they are unable to have children. But when the woman goes off to wash clothes at the side of the river, she comes across a giant peach. And from here unfolds an amazing chase scene. Rob, I don't know if there's anything you want to mention about this but it involves it goes over sea not sea over river water uh air and land it uh has like a sort of dragging scene where the lady's butt catches on fire it does involve the peach peeing on her uh but she also does sort of catch it in the end
0: right right it is a frantic chase this this chase sequence is well represented in that two minute everything is terrible cut and uh yeah it's just includes a lot of antics with And Indeed, the peach peeing on her to put out the fire um, and so forth. But eventually she catches it and kind of locks it in a room back at the house. And so when the old man shows up, um, she's like, old man, you got to get in here and deal with this peach. And he's like, oh, old woman, you were just making things up. Um, I can handle this. And then goes in and encounters the peach. Yeah, he says he's going to eat it up.
1: I'm going to go in and eat the peach up. Uh, Oh, there's also a very funny moment where in the foreground, the old man and the old woman are talking uh, and he's saying, you know, that's okay. I'm hungry. Prepare a meal for me. And she's like, no, there's a haunted peach. And then in the background, we just see the peach zooming around like behind their backs. (laughs) It's like a
0: ghost in a horror movie. Yeah, just, just zooming around ominously in the back. They have no idea what's, what's about to happen.
1: And it's doing poltergeist stuff. It makes the furniture dance and spin around in the air almost mm-hmm. exactly like Trumpy from Pod People. It has similar yeah. powers. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think the fight stops when the fairy shows up to convince the peach to stop doing satanic black magic. Is she? Yeah,
0: there's kind of a fight that happens where, like, the old man jumps up on the rafters and the peach chases him. And he's like, you stink, peach. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, then the fairy shows up and she's like, hey, peach, cut it out. Uh, this, the, These are some good folks. I think you need to open up and let them raise the baby.
1: That's right. He says this couple are good persons. And uh, then the, so the peach cracks open, it hatches, this, the beautiful, holy light comes out of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the baby. And so the old woman grabs the baby and she says, old man, take a look at it. Real cute. And from here, they, they adopt the baby. They, they make it their own. And it is actually sh- shockingly sweet. Like there is this sort of montage of her rocking the baby and singing oh. to it as it falls asleep. And then we see the baby growing older and, in this
0: montage and i rachel and i were watching this and she was like
1: what and why am i having
0: feelings i know i felt the same way like the baby is very adorable and she's there's the part where yeah she's singing touching your head and touching your hands like a little lullaby Mm -hmm. and it's very sweet it's legitimately sweet oh and we should mention earlier
1: when they were at the buddha shrine in the forest before they get peach kid uh this is when they meet night melon uh Mm -hmm. so they're like there saying, oh, uh, we wish we could have a son. And uh, then I don't know how, where Night Melon comes from. It's like he falls out of the sky. Oh, yeah, I don't know. He's on some sort of adventure, right? Yeah. Uh and he he drops down and at first you're like who is this but they're like oh here's a big baby let's raise him. <laughs> and th- then they realize like oh no he is cute like a baby but this is a grown man and then we discover this is Night Melon he's out uh hunting birds I think with his retainers and uh they they oh he he shows off his strength by chopping down a giant stalk of bamboo like a tree sized one with with his hands to get the uh bird out of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, th- there's a wonderful jarring transition, though, because we have this wonderful lullaby, uh, you know, rocking my sweet, my sweet peach kid uh, into, into slumber, uh, that sort of thing. But then immediately we cut, and it's like, meanwhile, in hell. In hell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the king devil returns to hell where there is a frozen old witch and all her evil demon children. And this scene is is actually, I think, quite atmospheric and spooky.
0: Yeah, so this is supposed to be one of the cold hells. Now there are numerous cold narakas in Buddhism. I've seen I've seen it listed that there are a total of like maybe eight cold hells and they're defined by the cold sounds that the inhabitants make and or what sort of damage it does to the body. So are your teeth chattering at 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 in the cold or are you going ha ah, ah. ha in pain? Um, is your body merely covered with cold blisters? Are those blisters bursting and then the pus freezing over your body? Or are you so cold that like parts of your flesh have fallen away and we can see your internal organs?
1: I don't know. It's one of those. It seems real bad here because the demons are crying out for relief. They, uh, yes. You see the demon children walking up to a mound and then this old witch comes up out of the mound like she pushes away the earth at the top of it. And the demons are saying, uh, or I don't know if they're demons, That maybe they're damned people. They, I don't know. The people there, they're saying, uh, get up, mom, get up, mom. And uh, they say, mom, we don't want to stay here. But the witch says, it's destined because we've done evil things before. Uh, I think that means like in life, maybe they, they did evil things. So they're, they're stuck here in jail. She says, we're all cursed. Uh, We're locked up in jail. And they say, grandma, get us out of here. And then she says, it's impossible. Let's spend our life like this. Again, I think maybe something is getting lost in the subtitles here, but then the King Devil shows up and he's got the Sword of Sun with him. And with the power of the Sword of Sun, he turns hell into a kind of peach garden. He like He's like, okay, now hell isn't cold anymore. Y- y'all can chill out.
0: Yeah, so he's recruiting himself some minions here with the power of the, the Sword of the Sun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, instantly uh, all of these newly won demonic minions take on uh, a new air, a new likeness. So uh, the old mom, uh, the old witch here, is suddenly suddenly has the Ziggy Stardust wig. We see Hercules, the big muscly ogre dude. Um, there's some other specialized demon troops as well. My, I think one of my favorites is the wind guy. He's like this uh, oh, demon yeah. underling that has a big sack of wind that he uses in battles either to 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 blow his adversaries away or to create a really stiff wind that they can't walk into kind of comedically. Mm-hmm.
1: And the payoff on the windbag demon is fantastic. Oh, yes. But so the King Devil has defrosted the demons of hell and the witch says, thank you, my King Devil, you give us new life. And I... It, Interesting, uh, interesting take on the harrowing of hell here, yeah. uh, and so, uh, <laughs> the, so the witch is obviously interested. She's like King Devil, what's the sword in your hand? And the King Devil explains that he's he's taken it from the Peach Garden, and I think he explains what he plans to do with the sword. But most of the subtitles here are against a white background, so I do not know what he says his plan is, but. It seems to me that his plan is to do evil, maybe, and yeah. to rule over the people of the world and make them miserable.
0: Yeah, I mean, not to get too deep on this, but in freeing these, uh, these people from one of the hells, uh, like in the, the, from the Buddhist perspective, like he's interfering with like the natural order of the universe. Because right? again, mm-hmm. in Eastern traditions, the hells and hell realms are more about transforming into something mm-hmm. better. Like this is uh, no matter what the, the the subtitles might say, I think we might infer that these are people who are being processed through this realm and eventually in another incarnation will be better for it. Uh, so he's interrupting that he's and he's breaking them out so they can continue to be bad in a way that's out of alignment with the universe. I
1: think in one of the subtitles, they do say, uh, well, we've got a thousand more years here. Yeah. But yes, he breaks it. Breaks it off short. They clearly are are not redeemed. They have not improved their souls at all. Uh, so they they still just want to do evil, and they're going to help King Devil in that regard by brutally attacking a village. This is the next thing we see them do. Like the. The witch shows up and she says, "Mm, I get a thrill as I smell these people. I want to taste their blood. Mm." And she she gets all excited and they just attack all these people in a village uh, that one part they're like setting fire to houses and beating people down and and just slaughtering them and there's one part where i think a demon attacks some kids that are swimming in a lake and their dad is on the on the lakeshore and he i think he calls them like bobby and denny or something in these subtitles Mm -hmm. and then he jumps into the water to save them and then they send like a mutant shark after him
0: oh yeah they're shark demons that's right yeah those will come up again later yeah. So they just they burn this city to the ground or this town to the ground, this village. And this is something this film has in common with *Throwing Bloody Sword. Both films have, at least to my eye, terrifying fire effects. Mm, I, maybe I'm yeah. just more sensitive to this kind of thing now, but I'm like, oh, geez, it's like, like that's that's not just a magic staff shooting a little bit of flame. I think they're using a flamethrower that looks like jellied gasoline.
1: Yeah. And we do see what seem to be unsimulated. Uh, footage of like houses burning down so they burned some real huts and stuff for this.
2: Mhm. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. 2 420 foot vertical speedways 3 launches. All right, let's talk strategy.
1: Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Remember that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what
2: about the rollback?
1: Rollback will set you up for an
2: explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it.
1: Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. today's episode is brought to you by ebay ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: So the devil is up to some bad business and it really needs to stop. We need a hero is what we need. We need a hero. And what do you know, back in the bamboo forest, Peach
1: Kid's all grown up, super strong now. He's splitting wood with his bare hands. He goes and he digs out a well for his parents so they can have water.
0: Now, at this point, yeah, the, the fairy has intervened, sped up uh, the development of, of Peach Kid because the, the fairy's like, this isn't happening fast enough. We need a hero pronto. And yeah. so by this point, it is uh, the, the, uh, the grown actor Peach Baby playing the Peach Kid.
1: Oh, yeah, I think there'd been some earlier scenes where they were just like, wow, Peach Kid sure eats a lot, but needs to grow up faster.
0: Yeah. And the the, the, the grandma and the grandpa, the old man and the old woman, they, they couldn't be happier because there's like, oh, our son is so strong. He can carry us around.
1: Yes. So we see Peach Kid carrying a... a their, I think they work as like... Uh, I don't know, uh, loggers in the forest. We see Peach Kid, I think, by himself carrying a whole tree that has been mm-hmm. felled. But then also just, yeah, carrying uh, the old man around in the forest. And he, the old man says, this is my son. He
0: bears me up. Yep, yep. He's very proud. Very proud.
1: Now, uh, somewhere in here, the king, devil, and the witch attack a castle and kidnap a princess. I recall this going by very fast, but suddenly mm-hmm. they've just got a princess captive.
0: Yeah. And then I forgot about the princess for a while until she becomes important again. So, yeah, it comes by very fast.
1: Uh, but the witch says, it's your lock to have a chance to marry my son. Uh, and uh princess doesn't want to marry her sons. and. Uh, the witch doesn't like this. She cusses the princess out. And she says, you're indulging in fault finding on my good sons. And, and then the sons say, mom, I want the princess.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway, the fact that the King Devil has kidnapped the princess leads to the organization of a gigantic rescue effort. So uh, they're, like these armies assemble, they're going to go to Devil Island to get the princess back. And who's in charge of this rescue plan? But Nightmelon himself.
0: Yeah, there are a couple of other kind of uh, military individuals who – there's one one guy that is referred to as Bowie in the subtitles for, a, for some oh, reason. a
1: smug priest. He's yeah, a priest. A priest who shows, yeah, he's
0: up. a Dallas priest. Um, uh, he's very – yeah, he's very, like, full of
1: himself when he shows up. He's like, I will defeat uh, – you know, I will go with you. We will defeat the King Devil. And uh, Nightmelon taunts him by saying, like, what, you're going to defeat him by praying at him?
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's very cowardly in in this too. The first peeing scene comes about though because our hero, uh, the peach kid, shows up and it's like, I'm strong, I'm ready to help there's also a lot of back and forth where the, the father, the old man, is like, "I will go to war. You shouldn't have to go to war and fight the devil." And uh, but then it, they realize, "Oh, the old man is too old. He can't do it. It's got to be Peach Kid." So tears in their eyes, Peach Kid goes off to join the army. But then the, the the generals in the army are like, "You're too young. You can't do this." And then the three guardian animals uh, show up and they're like, "How can they bully our master like that? Let's go pee in their drinks." And so that's right. The, the monkey and the dog go and pee in their drinks that are set out without anybody, you know, uh, uh, looking out for them. And then the, they show up and they're like, oh, let's have our, 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 alcohol now. And so they start drinking their, their drinks that now have animal urine in them. And they start making comedic, um, gross faces about how weird it tastes.
1: I think they have to run, uh, uh, Nightmelon and Priest Bowie have to run behind a curtain to vomit.
0: Yeah. A good time is had by all. <laughs>
1: Oh, but Peach Kid eventually—so, yeah, we we assemble the characters. So you got Nightmelon and Priest Bowie and the armies, uh, and then Peach Kid eventually proves his worth by wrestling a bull, I think. Is that right? Yes,
0: yes. Like slams it.
1: Yeah, slams a bull down. And then also Peach Kid is joined by the three animal guardians from the Peach Shrine on the mountaintop. So they're allied with Peach Kid now. I think maybe were they recruited by the fairy? I think so.
0: Yeah, yeah, because they were a part of the original Guardian crew for the Peach Babies. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're loyal. And they also eventually tell Peach Kid what's up, like tells Peach Kid about Peach Kid's birth parents and so forth.
1: Right. So they, they pee in the food and all that. But eventually, Peach Kid is accepted into Nightmelon's uh, retinue here, and they're going to go attack the Devil Island together. But unfortunately, Nightmelon's forces are decimated by a uh, vicious witch attack on the army encampment that involves an attempted seduction of Nightmelon, mm-hmm. the destruction of his forces. Rob, do you want to describe this in some more detail? What What all goes down here?
0: Oh, I mean, it's a frenzied action sequence We all, with also that seductive sequence of where the witch shows up, pretends to be the princess, Night Melon's like, oh, I will kiss you. And then she transforms <laughs> into the witch uh, before he can kiss her and hilarity ensues. But then, yeah, the demon force attacks. And uh, yeah, it's a great action sequence, stuff flaming in the night. We get to see the wind demon. And uh, yeah, I think one of my favorite mini battles in the whole picture is peach kid versus wind demon Oh yeah! and we see this first tussle between these two in this sequence and wind demon kind of gets the better of peach kid by blowing the the wind out of the bag
1: through a pipe right
0: yeah Yeah. and we realize like this isn't over these two have a score to settle later on
1: so night melon survives this attack i think uh, does priest bowie just run away i think he does yeah
0: he He's like, I better pretend to be dead so I can survive, and then he does that, and then he kind of crawls away. Yeah. So the forces that are going to oppose the Devil King are decimated, but our key heroes survive. And at this point, it becomes clear that this this effort is not going to succeed as a as a pure military venture with siege equipment like it originally was was headed. No, this is going to be have to be a hero squad oriented. Uh, um, action we're gonna have to send our heroes in to the inner sanctum of the devil king and stop him
1: that's right so for the final uh for the final showdown peach kid night melon and the three animal guardians mount an assault on devil island uh and uh i don't know we can talk about the various elements of this but i will just say the final battle is a religious experience it will open eyes you did not know you had
0: Oh man. So much, there's so much to talk about in it. Uh, just for starters, since I mentioned the first part of it already, uh, we get the second half of the battle of peach kid versus the wind demon. And in this one, like peach kid has learned the tricks and like just the, the language, like the physical language of the fight sequence is so great. Uh, and uh, eventually peach kid uh, gets the upper hand and they do this bit where, uh, they both have this tube and they're blowing into the tube, and peach kid can blow harder and stronger at this point than wind demon and she makes the wind demon's head explode scanner style and we get a freeze frame of like head chunks and gore exploding from this creature's head
1: peach kid as michael ironside as daryl revick
0: yes yes absolutely wonderful like if the movie had ended at that point i would have been like fine that's great i can go home happy
1: Oh, also before the fight starts, we get a return of the mutant sharks.
0: Yep. There's a, a, a brutal fight with them in which uh, one of the sharks has the uh, shark mutants has their fin sliced off by Peach Kid. And then after the battle, they're like, hey, where'd, where'd Melon go? And then Melon comes swimming up with like a bunch of shark fins from the shark demons and he's like these are nutritious oh, I'm going to no. eat them so we get a shark fin soup joke in there which um, you know uh, I'm I wasn't crazy about though I I guess we have to keep in mind this was the 80s and I think the the messaging against the um you know the ecologically harmful and um and, and ethically um problematic, um, practice of, of shark finning. It didn't really come in until like 2005 or so. Uh, and so, yeah. And then also, I guess it's better in that at least it's played up as kind of a doofus move on melon's part because they're like, don't eat that melon. You're going to poison yourself. And he's like, oh, okay.
1: Oh yes. Because they're demon shark fins, not regular shark fins. So he's, yeah. He, oh, I didn't think of that.
0: So anyway, they get him to leave the shark fins and then they, they keep going into the Inner Sanctum for this big battle. Yeah, they, And then the, the battle ensues. The action is just sizzling. Uh, we get the, that, uh, that final encounter between uh, Peach Kid and the Wind Demon. Uh, meanwhile, we have Melon going to rescue the princess. And we mentioned earlier how the, the fairy uses love to power him up. And, uh, and it's also in this sequence where he has to battle Hercules.
1: Hercules remember is the is the demon from hell who's got big muscles and like a spiked club.
0: Yeah, very much this kind of oni ogre kind of a figure, brute strength. And it's it's ultimately a really fun fight because uh Melon holds his own his own pretty well against Hercules, uh but he's he's just not getting it done, but after the love sinks in and takes effect, he's able to just kind of like casually kill um, uh, yeah. Hercules, like he's walking away with his princess and then he kind of like flicks a spear with his foot back behind him and, uh, <laughs> impales, uh, Hercules through the heart is beautiful.
1: That's the power of love. <laughs>
0: yeah, they they could have played it and it would have fit perfectly.
1: But, but, but we haven't gotten yet to the most amazing thing that happens in this film, which is the emergence of
0: Mecca peach. Oh, yeah, because everybody's try, at this point trying to... T- I think the witch gets dispatched. Uh, she gets blown up with a rocket shot by one of the three Animal Guardian kids. Mm. Um, and then it's, So it's just them against... The Demon King, but the Demon King has this magical sword, and it's quickly becoming obvious that the crew cannot take him out. Like he's busting, uh, busting out against Melon. Melon hits the dirt. The three kids take on hybrid forms, which are hilarious because one has long monkey arms, mm-hmm. one has like a, a dog claws, and the other one has a single uh, a f- a pheasant wing. And so they jump into <laughs> battle. And these, these these sort of wild form path of the beast uh, uh, weapons seem to work well against the demon underlings, but they're no match for the king.
1: The the he's punching him with the wing,
0: yeah. <laughs> and so is that even, what
1: wings are good for?
0: <laughs> I don't know, but they can't they can't do it. They can't pull it off. And even Peach Kid is, seems unable to get the upper hand against Demon King.
1: So. They've got a they've got a power up. Hey, we get we get a power up here.
0: Yes, it's the return of the holy peach. Peach comes flying back in. Um, Demon king what slices the peach up with the sword, and the slices become other peaches. I forget exactly how
1: we get the transformation into Mecha Peach. What what is the sequence here? Yeah,
0: I think Peach shows up. Peach gets sliced by the sword, but then. The peach pieces assemble Voltron style into this large, kind of like a peach golem, like a big peach marionette. Every time Mecca of Peach is on screen and on the screen in this movie, it manages to be the weirdest scene ever committed to screen. It's just such a My God. bonkers presentation. I
1: couldn't believe it. It's and it looks so weird, but also so familiar. This is something we were talking about before we started, I was like, Mecha Peach feels like something I've seen before, even though I know I haven't. Uh, I think it's just that Mecha Peach in its puppet form has like some visual similarities to other objects.
0: Yeah. Like I was getting notes of Mr. Bill notes of a cupid doll and notes of panic Pete that little squeeze toy with the bulging eyeballs. That's really good. But then it very much, is its own thing as well and oh and it's it's got a weird energy too because it laughs with a donald duck laugh or something very much like a donald duck laugh going like so like the king devil
1: tries to rush it but mecca peach blows a bunch of i don't know the fog in his face and and mm-hmm. knocks him back and then mecca peach pees on him
0: yeah <laughs> pees right in the devil king's face and he makes a he makes a weird face about it and the the subtitles say, piss off. <laughs> and the, but the the devil king's not going to not going to stop. He comes in again with the sword this time. There's some like back and forth with the sword. And then the, the mecha peach like bites the sword out of his hand and seems to swallow the sword. And then we get this awesome moment so that the, there's a, like, I think the first thing that happens is Mecha Peach just like knocks the devil king away and like slams him through a pillar, uh, which is a pretty spectacular looking stunt on its own right. Mm-hmm. And then he gets up, he's standing in front of his devil throne and Mecha Peach opens its mouth out of his mouth comes flying peach kid with the sword of the sun in hand and peach kid violently skewers the devil King like through his torso and skewers him to the throne in just an absolutely quality kill. Magnificent. I I, I don't know what else we could say. Just great. Like the only really way to, to close things out at that point is to have a jumping freeze frame ending, which they do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they do yeah And the credits are all and we get the song again
0: yes oh my god and it's just so yeah so delightful to end on that note where here are our heroes here's the peach monstrosity still standing behind them which again is this this perfect balance of like awkward weird i guess it was a marionette like a large mm-hmm. marionette that they used like cranes or scaffolding to to create like this was not a it's not stop motion it's not uh you know certainly not cgi uh so it has a it, it looks kind of bad as you might expect but also wonderful and it definitely has a physical reality that you can get behind
1: naughty angels dance on the roof once again yes
0: okay do you have anything else or should we wrap it up there Oh, we should probably wrap it up there. But there's, I mean, there's so many little details in this movie. It's like I say, you can watch the the two minute cut, but you won't, you certainly won't get everything. And then once you watch it, you may have to go back through and watch it again uh, to appreciate all of the stuff that they just pack into this, uh, this picture.
1: Child of Peach, truly a monumental achievement. I've never seen anything quite like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. So, um, you know, maybe it's not the most um, St. Patty's Day. Uh, of movies we could have picked, but <laughs> a lot of fun. And you know, also like today is also my uh this is my fifteen year work anniversary since I started with House of Works. So you know, it, this movie's a party. So it's my oh, party. Congratulations. Oh ah, well thank you. All right. Well we're gonna go ahead and close this one out, but we'd love to hear from everyone out there. Are you familiar with Child of Peach? Were you familiar with it or are you familiar with it now? What are your thoughts on it? Um, We'd love to hear from you. Also love to hear from anyone who's just more, more expertise in like Taiwanese cinema in general. If you want to see a complete list of the movies that we've covered on Weird House Cinema, well, you can go to a couple of places. Like I say, I blog about these at Uh It's a personal blog of mine. And then also the show, Weird House Cinema, has a profile at letterboxd.com. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com. Great you know movie reviewing cataloging website that i recommend uh, we're a weird house on there and if you follow us you'll find a list has all the movies we've covered and sometimes a snapshot ahead of, of what we're covering in the week to follow
1: huge thanks to our audio producer jj posway if you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stuff to blow dot com